0: Welcome back to the Fraser Rice podcast. We spoke recently with Bart Stevens about the uses and opportunities of blockchain. Blockchain's main benefit thus far has been to add integrity in peer-to-peer transfers of digital information and, more specifically, value. That has led to the development of cryptocurrencies, which have exploded in popularity in recent years and most acutely in the last year. Bitcoin, Ether, Dash, Ripple, and many others have stormed the headlines as the curious have sought ways to build on the promise of cryptocurrencies and maybe get rich quickly as well. However, as we have seen in recent weeks, volatility, hacking, and general uncertainty have become a bigger part of the cryptocurrency picture. Today we have Eilen Glover, founder of Koala. Eilen Glover is the CEO and co-founder of Koala, creator of the world's first autonomously stabilizing cryptocurrency called KUSD. Island has spent his career creating systems and companies at the intersection of finance, technology, education, game theory, and human psychology. He's here to help us sort through the noise, set out the problems to be solved, and help us think about cryptocurrencies in the future. Welcome aboard, Island. Well, I appreciate you having me. So tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you found your way into the cryptocurrency world.
1: I have a mixed background. So I have two fundamental interests. One of them is education. And the other is financial technology. So to give you an example, um, I, my first financial technology company, I started at the age of 22. I just returned from Germany where I was a Fulbright scholar studying German literature and philosophy. And I came back and started a financial technology company in the D.C. area. That ended up growing. We moved it out to Palo Alto, grew more. And so we participated in that whole process of the dot-com boom and bust. So that was really interesting. In fact, there are a lot of parallels between that period of time and the time that we're in in the cryptocurrency world. So those, those topics sound very far apart, but there is this kind of um, strange breed of character like me. I think Peter Thiel is another guy kind of like this. We study philosophy. We think of things um, at a structural level, and we are concerned about the future of humanity. So that's why education is interesting to me, and that's why financial technology is interesting to me, because these are tools uh, with which you can really empower people, and that's what's interesting to do in life. So I have had a an entrepreneurial background this uh, entire time since the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, that is concentrated in those two industries. This company, Koala, was started about two years ago, and it came when I got a phone call from John Rotano who was the CTO of that first fintech company that I ever started. Um, you know, those people in life you meet and you just have a mind meld and you have read the same books, but you have very complementary skills. John is a big thinker, but he's also a technical guy. Me. And he's a software developer. And so we combined together and he called me uh, two years ago and, um, and made a proposition to me. And I countered, and that's what led to this company and our activities that we're doing now.
0: That's where your German philosophy came in handy. You were able to – it somehow bled into negotiations, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's really just thinking, again, at a a really structural level. So just just to put that into concrete terms. John called me, as I say, and said, Hey, I want you to be the CEO of this social media software company that I want to develop. And I said, Well, I was going to call you and say that you should be the CTO of a cryptocurrency company. And so we started talking about it. Of course, I won that debate. But what we wanted to do is look at things in first principles. So John had already created, almost as a hobby, uh, his, his own cryptocurrency called Neutrino in 2013, because that's the kind of guy he is. And my point to him was, hey, this technology is so amazing. We can see that. Many people can see that. And yet Bitcoin, for example, has basically zero penetration in the marketplace. You know, why is the entire world here, you know, seven, eight, nine years down the road since the launch of Bitcoin, why is no one really using this? Why is it not useful to regular people? And when you start to think like that, then you can examine underlying assumptions and start to find opportunities to develop new things like KUSD, which is what we're talking about today.
0: So we've reached a bottleneck, I guess, or maybe we're starting to break the bottleneck in terms of mass adoption of cryptocurrency. And I don't know, the way I see it, there are three major constituents that have to get on board here. Number one, you know, is the business person dealing with the transfer of value from one person to another. You've got to be comfortable with that. The casual cryptocurrency investor, the person who's speculating on the currency, has to be comfortable with everything from investing to being able to get their money out to – understanding the inputs that drive value, pluses and minuses. And then finally, the consumer, they have to be comfortable and happy with the experience of paying with cryptocurrency in order to get goods like you know, a cup of coffee or a pizza or something like that. And for the way I understand it, Bitcoin has not quite figured it out on any of those three methods and as you have the rise of Ripple and Ethereum and other ICOs, they're not quite solving the problems too. From the business person perspective, what do they need to be worried about in dealing with a cryptocurrency?
1: Well, I think that your point is really good, and that is you, you separated these three broad categories of classes. You know, you said you've got your traders who are active in the marketplaces, trading cryptocurrencies one for the other, speculating, and so on. You have businesses and you have consumers. And all three of those groups have a very easy-to-understand problem, and that is that each one of those needs a really important tool. They need a stable store of value for their money, you know, for some period of time. So, for example, it's really hard to run a business. Let's say you have an online store. And you want to accept Bitcoin, but let's say you do, you know, have a $5,000 day, you know. You can't really operate well if you are storing that uh, revenue in Bitcoin and you wake up the next day and it's worth 40% less. You know, employees are not going to get paid, uh, suppliers, and you may not last very long. And consumers, of course, need to be able to count on to know that tomorrow, this currency that they're using is going to be worth roughly the same thing as it was yesterday. Traders also need a place to park funds. They need a trading pair that's in a more stable currency. So just to give you a real-world example, the Friday before last, John Rotano and I were on the phone, and I said, gosh, I think we ought to liquidate one or two million dollars in ether, which is a, not really a rival to Bitcoin, but an altcoin that's very, very successful that many of your listeners are probably familiar with. And because the price had gone up tremendously and I was feeling a little bit nervous about it, thinking, wow, maybe we should take our, some gains off the table. Well, we tried to contact our OTC uh, trading guys in London and San Francisco and for one reason or another. We just didn't get it done in time. And we wrote it down to 900 or uh, thereabouts. Oh, that, so, execution
0: uh, is a killer on that. Yikes.
1: Yeah. So um, so that's just a, one example of how a trader would want to, at certain times, take some money off the table and put it into a form that is really accessible, that stays on the blockchain, but that isn't going to have the volatility. And consumers and businesses, it's easy for us to imagine why they need a stable currency. So that's one of the big obstacles to mass adoption. And that's the primary one, we think, uh, to mass adoption. Others, however, are the speed of the networks themselves. So Bitcoin, uh, famously, is very slow. The block times, this is how often one new block of transactions will complete is once every 10 minutes. You know, we're not going to wait around in line at the grocery store for 10 minutes for the nice old lady in front of us to process her Bitcoin transaction. You know, that's that's too slow for commerce. Uh, But other others, like Ethereum, are 15 transactions per second, and that seems a lot better. But Ethereum was crippled just four or six weeks ago by one single game that was popular uh, called CryptoKitties. And so what this shows you is that even if you get a stable currency that's very, very useful, it may still fail to become a mass-adopted currency because the transaction speeds can be too slow. And as they're slow, people pay more to get their transactions done, which drives up the transaction costs. So we are addressing this problem as well by taking what's called a fork of Ethereum, which which means that we're taking the Ethereum code and uh, we're pulling out essentially the engine, which is the consensus mechanism in Ethereum, which is something called proof of work, and we can go into this if you want to. And we're replacing it with something called proof of stake. Uh, we're using um, some technology developed by the team at Tendermint, and we've modified that. So we've basically done an engine switch, you could say. We've taken Ethereum, put a stable coin into that system. So that's the kind of the coin of the realm. And then we've replaced the engine so that you can actually get thousands of transactions per second, as opposed to 15. So this is the second really, really big obstacle to mass adoption. And a third is distribution. So it's, it's still difficult for regular people to get cryptocurrency, to get their first cryptocurrency. You know, if you want to do that now, you can sign up with Coinbase, for example. You've got to go through uh, kind of a lengthy process.
0: I was going to say it's also – Coinbase seems to have at least seemingly solved the problem of security of coin storage and value transfer, but it doesn't seem to be battle-tested to me yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, if you have a lot of crypto, you look around for secure places to store it. And so I think, yeah, I think that that Coinbase is probably chosen more often than some other places because we're operating under this constant threat of hacking, right? So anytime that you turn custody of your crypto assets over to someone else, they can be stolen. They can also be stolen from you, of course, if someone gets your private key. But this is dangerous. Just this week, there was an exchange in Japan, you may have read about, that was hacked to the tune of, I think it was 530 million. Right. So- so security is, is big, but that's uh that's getting better and now there are these remaining obstacles to mass adoption. So I think for a business person today, you know, I think a lot of my friends even um who are entrepreneurs and in all kinds of industries, whether it be healthcare or even financial services and so on, or retail. They're looking around, going, "Hey, I hear about this all the time. When is it going to actually make a difference to my business, or what are the opportunities for me to um, to move into the realm of cryptocurrency? How is that going to translate into into real-world um, results for me and and my customers?" And, and I think that is what 2018 is going to be about. Um, this transition that you mentioned a moment ago from kind of crypto enthusiast over to more and more mainstream usage.
0: To double back just a second, how did you pick Mm -hmm. Ethereum as the engine of choice as opposed to Bitcoin or Ripple or some of the other ones?
1: It really all comes down to smart contracts. So. Uh, you know, all of these platforms that you're mentioning are technical tour de forces. You know, they're, they're amazing, created by amazing people. And, uh, and Ethereum is one of them. But one of the keys we thought for making KUSD, this stable coin, and the blockchain that it's on, which is a separate blockchain, really useful would be to not only have that high transaction throughput, but also a platform that was ideal for smart contracts. And what that means is um, if you think about the blockchain, one of the things you can do is you can program in rules-based contracts that are hosted on top of the network. And that opens up uh, vast realms of new opportunities for, for new types of businesses or the transformation of current businesses. And so we chose Ethereum because it was the leading smart contracts platform.
0: To get back to the concept of the non-volatile store of wealth, obviously, you know, we've talked about this a little bit already with the wild swings that have taken place in a lot of the different cryptocurrencies and the problems that can cause with commerce and trading and so on. Your KUSD cryptocurrency seems to solve that problem by being pegged to a country-backed currency and certainly the United States is – A logical first choice to do that. exactly. For the layman uh, who's worried about these things, why not just be in the currency itself? And then maybe a different extension of that is, do you think governments are going to start uh, having a cryptocurrency element to them uh, so that they can be taking advantage of the features that you just described?
1: I guess the first question really is, why not just use regular money, right? Um, So it it might be good to take a a real-world example. So let's say you have a a Filipino, a young lady from the Philippines who's in Dubai, say, uh, working in a hotel room and earning a pretty darn good wage. And she's – on a weekly basis, she's going down to a stand uh, to send – you know, 60% of those earnings back to her family at home. This is a $420 billion that, that I, I think that's a, an accurate number uh, uh, marketplace for immigrants sending money back home every year. And that's right now a very laborious uh, and expensive process. So you might have to go wait in line, for example, um, for several hours uh, and pay for seven or even over 10% transaction fees, especially, you know, the, the more backward your home country is in terms of its financial system, the more expensive it is to, to get that money back home. And this is one use case, but cryptocurrency makes that transaction absolutely trivial. So you could, from your smartphone, just like you might with apps like Venmo or PayPal, send back money to your family securely, instantaneously, and At basically no cost. So there are many use cases for this. The the biggest impact, we think, is that what cryptocurrency does is it puts the power back into the hands of the individual. That means that you can store, secure, send, spend, save your money in a way that does not require banks, that does not require vaults. And when you do that, uh, you give people power over their own lives. And that's very exciting. The other thing that it does is it connects you to the global economy instantaneously. So if you are in an online chat, let's say, playing a video game with another guy from Korea and you want to buy a digital asset, you can do that instantaneously uh, right there. So, you know, we are a globally connected world. And that's becoming more the case. And this is just a new type of money technology that fits into that world.
0: To me, I mean, I work at a bank, and if I were to transfer money to someone overseas, there are at least five intermediaries in between, each either taking a fee or otherwise putting some sort of process on it. and so. Everything you describe about the instantaneous transfer of value, to me, it's, it's like an earthquake waiting to happen. The other component that really is interesting to me is you know, a lot of the current businesses that are out there, and I've made fun of Western Union in a previous podcast for the same type of thing. If I'm that business, I'm looking around for that cryptocurrency or batch of cryptocurrencies to save my business model.
1: That's right. Exactly. But it, it may be hard in that case. Uh, I mean, I think that maybe a different business model with the same brand could work, but I can't imagine anyone choosing if they had the option to send money overseas through this very clunky method that's very expensive and, as you say, has a lot of intermediaries. That's time and money. These are these are very important things that we want to save, um, and there's a, a cumulative effect of doing that for for millions and millions of people that contributes to the uh, to the overall growth of. The world economies. So there are many, many reasons to move to cryptocurrency, and there are very few reasons not to. And so what we want to do is we want to provide a very, very vital piece of the infrastructure for that growing industry. And also, we want to trigger and help facilitate that mass adoption of cryptocurrency. And, and we see KUSD, as I said, as this piece of infrastructure And the blockchain itself, this faster blockchain, as a piece of that vital infrastructure. And we want to turn that into a platform that really empowers individuals, which we've been talking about, but also entrepreneurs, uh, other business people, and existing industries, merchants, and so forth, to come into a realm with a stable currency on a platform that accepts smart contracts, that is decentralized, that they can use as kind of a playground for their innovative ideas and ambitions. That's another step, I think, that you'll see happening in the industry this year, and we want to facilitate that.
0: One of these steps in the industry, I think, and the idea behind your company makes a lot of sense to me, in pegging it to the U.S. dollar is to, in a sense, borrow uh, from that which is familiar for most people in terms of how they think of currency without losing everybody, how do you do that? How do you peg the currency to the U.S. dollar from a technical perspective so that you don't have those wild swings?
1: Okay, I'll keep it very simple. It's a combination of software and self-interest of parties out there in the marketplace. I guess is a super simple way of saying it, but let me explain what that means. So it's very important to understand that that KUSD is not backed by U.S. dollars. It's not an asset-backed currency. An asset-backed currency would be something like a casino chip, right? You, If you have ever visited a casino, you take your dollar bills, you hand them over to the teller, they exchange those for some chips with the name of the casino on them, and then you take those out there and hopefully you don't lose them all too quickly. Um, <laughs> later, if you come back, you can exchange those chips, get your dollars back if you have any left, and be on your merry way. So an asset-backed cryptocurrency, uh, and there, there are some out there like Tether, for example, USDT, it it's, it makes sense as a first step towards a a stable cryptocurrency but it's not really a cryptocurrency real cryptocurrencies like bitcoin uh litecoin uh ether and so forth are not backed by any assets and this sounds bad at first it sounds like oh wow that's not that's not very good but it's actually a really really important feature it's not a bug it's a feature that's important because that means that no one can control those or take them away or um, commandeer them, and so on. So let's say you you have an asset-backed cryptocurrency. You've got to store those assets somewhere. Tether stores them, I believe, in a vault, they say, in Taiwan. Um, and about six months ago, uh, Wells Fargo announced they weren't doing any more tr- um, wire transfers to this bank in Taiwan. Lovely. And so, yes, and so uh, the value of Tether drops. But so what you really want is you want a distributed network and a distributed token, but so that's an important thing. So KUSD is not backed by any asset. Okay, well then how, do it, how does it hold its value? It does it just by responding automatically to demand for KUSD in the marketplace. So another way of saying that is that it operates like a robotic federal reserve when the, the blockchain is aware of its price in the marketplaces via a system of decentralized oracles that are always reading and reporting the market prices of KUSD from exchanges all around the world back to the blockchain. And so if that robot goes out and sees that it's now trading at a dollar and one, it knows it needs to start taking action and it will begin to start taking action. What it will do is it will begin to increase what's called the block reward. And so when it does that, that's the reward that's that's given to miners for performing the work right. of the network. And when it does that, it's essentially increasing money supply. And so, you know, if you've ever taken Uber at a time when there's a big game downtown or something, you know about surge pricing. Sure. You know, so the Uber network will start to adjust its pricing based on demand. KUSD does something sort of in the same realm as that. It will, if it sees that it needs to add more of itself to the marketplace, it will do that. It also is able to subtract money from the money supply. And it does that, I guess the easiest way to understand that it does that is that it. In, in times when the value of KUSD is lower than a dollar on the exchange, it will begin to enact what we call a stability fee, which is a tiny fee on any kind of transaction, less than say a, you know the sales tax that you might pay at Starbucks when you buy some coffee. And it takes that KUSD and sends it to what's called a burn wallet, and that's basically a black hole from which it can never emerge. So it, it's very effective at removing itself from the money supply. Now. Those stability algorithms, these are, these are programmed in, in a way that, you know, can't be changed and everyone can see. Those will always return the money supply to a level that matches the demand such that 1KUSD equals $1 over time. But what keeps it from ever drifting far away at all is the self-interest of tens, hundreds, thousands of traders who understand that adding to and subtracting from the money supply and who realize that, let's say, if, if they see that KUSD at this moment is trading at $0.98, cents, they understand that it will not be trading at $0.98 cents in the near future. And so with that understanding, out of their own interest, they then purchase KUSD. And so the market forces don't hold it at a dollar, but what they do is they really keep it from drifting from a dollar, if that makes sense. So,
0: No, absolutely. Yeah. It's very complicated to get to, I think, when you were programming and doing the algorithms in order to make it happen, but it, it's a nice, elegant solution to, to the problem that you describe. Yes. So we're talking about on the token side of the U.S. dollar. What happens if the U.S. dollar itself goes haywire?
1: The token will follow. It will follow exactly the U.S. dollar, you know, um, again, over time following these stability mechanisms, it will adjust itself to one U.S. dollar.
0: And at that point, the huge problem is for the trader who is trying to you know, maybe do an arbitrage off of one currency or another. But if you're executing correctly and you're pegging it to the dollar, you've, you've in a sense taken one, one problem off their plate.
1: That's right. So we plan on rolling out many different what we call K coins, these, these assets that are designed to track different fiat currencies, and they work the same way. So, you know, if you were in that situation, just like you might be able to, if you were a trader of currencies, then if you saw the dollar going haywire and you needed to get out of it, you might just trade for euros or what have you. Ultimately, the crypto investor and just the regular consumer, they already have access to thousands of crypto assets, and that number is going to go into the millions. And so you'll have plenty of options for moving your money and moving your value around, given all kinds of scenarios.
0: Terrific. So one follow-up question, I guess, to the miner discussion that we had. How do you get miners to adopt slash get interested in KUSD and continue to create a robust system? And uh, how do you keep them happy, I guess?
1: Yes. So um, this is a really important question. So we use something called the proof of stake consensus protocol. That's very different from Bitcoin well, which is proof of work. So you may have read about Bitcoin. It says, you know, and people saying, well, gosh, if you want to mine now, you have to have, um, you know, you need to have access to lots of computing power and lots of elect- cheap electricity if you want to even have a chance of getting one Bitcoin. And that's true because those, um, all of those nodes in the network are competing with each other, not to actually store the information of the network or to perform the basic functions of the network, but they're competing in, in kind of an arbitrarily difficult way that is there as a security measure and as a way to regulate the mining of the network. So in the Bitcoin world, that Bitcoin itself, that's, that's what you're after, right? And so you're going to spend and invest money in computers and in electricity to try to buy for those Bitcoins that are being granted every so often. Um, but in the KUSD, and, and really, this is coming to almost all blockchains very soon. Um it's something called a proof of stake. And that is almost you can think of it almost like permissioned mining. You know, so you have a um on the KUSD blockchain, in order to to reap block rewards, you have to possess uh at least one mining token. We call that MUSD. That is a different token and it is um It is what you need in order to mine. And so the miners are willing to do... Well, they first of all, those are sold. They're not just out there. They're, They're actually sold to people purchase these tokens for the right to mine. And the reason they do that is because as the demand for KUSD increases in the marketplace, remember that it will continue to increase its own money supply. And you'll remember also that it's not actually backed by dollars. So when it increases that money supply, it's essentially you know, creating new value in response to the demand in the marketplace. And that new value goes right into the wallets of the miners. And that's their economic incentive to mine.
0: So does that go, that comes in the form of KUSD or MUSD?
1: Comes in the form of KUSD. So MUSD is is a, uh, is what's called a utility token Mm -hmm. uh, that does a lot of things. But one of the things that uh, is it, is it gives you uh, the ability to mine, to perform the work of the network. And so that's almost, uh, let's see, what's, what's a good example? So this is not a perfect analogy, but if MUSD was an apartment building, let's say, then the KUSD would be something like the rent. Um, right. So uh, it's not quite like that, because, um, but at least this is an, an oversimplified way of understanding uh, kind of that relationship.
0: So for our listeners out there, what is the best way to find out about slash access KUSD?
1: So, this blockchain has not been launched yet. That's coming coming very soon. But to learn about KUSD, the other K-Coins, the Koala Protocol, and so on, and also to keep track of updates, launches, and so forth, they can go to koala.tech. Now, that's spelled differently from the animal. It's spelled K-O-W-A-L-A dot tech. That's our website. And then on Facebook and Twitter and social media, it's Koala Tech, all one word, K-O-W-A-L-A-T-E-C-H. So they can follow us there. We also uh, speak at conferences. We're producing educational videos now to help explain what we're up to and how people can take advantage of this new technology for their lives and for their businesses so they can watch out for those things.
0: You sound like you are on the cusp of something really big and really interesting. Uh, Island, thank you very much for coming on and explaining it to us. For listeners out there, The information on uh, Koala uh, and Koala Tech and and how to get to the website and so on will be on the website, so you'll be able to uh, click on very easily. Thanks again for coming on.
1: Fraser, thank you very much, and thanks to your listeners for learning about and uh, listening to our plans for a stable cryptocurrency. We appreciate it.
0: That was Island Glover, co-founder and CEO of Koala. Check back soon for more episodes of the Fraser Rice podcast. Thanks again and have a great day.